Our Lord is worthy. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 16? Psalm 16 will be our passage of Scripture today. It is a psalm uh, that uh, is one that brings great joy to our hearts as we look at David and his life in a time of difficulty and how he finds great joy in fellowship that comes from a relationship with the Lord, and that's available to all of us today as well. And so if you'll stand in honor of God's word, Psalm 16, beginning in verse 1. The Psalm of David, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall never be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Father, what a great psalm, what a great encouragement to our hearts. And Lord, I just pray that you would fill us with your joy this day. A joy that only comes from intimacy, relationship with you. Would you bless your people this day, Lord? Fill us with that joy that is all satisfying, the joy that comes from you. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. Well, we do come, we do come today to the book of Psalms on our study of the one-year Bibles. We pick different passages through. And, and, I, and I suppose before we get into this psalm, maybe I should introduce just the idea of the psalms to you briefly. The psalms are poetry. They're poetic expressions of, of human and, and spiritual feeling. And they're divided into five different books. So there's 150 chapters in five different books. And each of those books ends with a, a doxology. And Psalm, Psalms, the, the entire collection of the Psalms, actually in the Hebrew Bible, would be called the praises. Kind of get the idea like that these are praise songs. And, and it was actually the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that labeled it the Psalms. What's interesting is the Greek verb from that noun, Psalms, basically denotes the idea of plucking or twanging of strings. In other words, it's like playing stringed instruments. So you get the idea that like these are are songs with great feeling, like, like psalms that, the, the songs that relate to our hearts and experiences in our lives, and yet also are full of deep theology and how God sort of addresses those issues of our lives. Like, all of you in some way or another, like, have a favorite song or music is a part of your life in some way. You know, for me, when I think of songs, I, 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 I think of a couple songs from the 1980s. I, I know, that's just kind of going way back, but I dated my wife, Kristen, she's my high school sweetheart, in the 1980s. Like, we started dating in 1985. And in 1985, like, the, the couple music then was Chicago, right? I'm almost embarrassed to even admit this. But, like, if I'm in a public place even now, and, like, 
you're the inspiration comes on. Like I could be in Carl's Jr. and be playing on the radio and the, or, or if I'm just walking through a mall and I hear you're the inspiration, instantly I think of my wife. Like if she's with me, I sing the song to her. What a blessing. You bring feeling to my life. You're, okay, 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 that's good. Okay, so, or like hard habit to break. Like those are the two, right? Those are the two, that's the, right? But it brings up this emotion. And when you read the Psalms, it connects with your soul because you share those experiences. But the only difference is it actually elevates sort of your view of God. Chicago does no such thing. The Psalms were written by seven different composers. King David wrote 75 of the 150 Psalms. There also were authors like Solomon, wrote Psalm 72 and 127. And the oldest Psalm is Psalm 90, written by Moses. Many think that the, the you know, sort of the, the, the Psalm that, that finishes off the Psalms would be one written by Ezra. So, so it, in other words, it would cover a 900 year period of Jewish history, all the way from Moses. 1400 BC, all the way up to, you know, Ezra, post-exilic, around 500 BC, you know, so you're talking about this huge span of time, and yet there is one author behind those human authors, and it's God himself. It is interesting because the Psalms bring much glory to God. Like, like it's like a hymn book that, that, that is meant to be sung and bring glory to God. So you say, well, what kind of a God, I mean, who... Who writes a book, and the whole book, 150 chapters worth, is all about his own glory? Like, isn't that conceited? Isn't that kind of arrogant? Like, if I wrote a book and it was all about, you know, praise Chris, wouldn't you be, think of me as an arrogant person? And indeed, if I wrote such a book, although many of us write such books unwittingly about our own lives all the time, we bring glory to ourselves all the time. That's why the Proverbs say, don't let your own lips praise you, but let another man's lips praise you. But... But indeed, if we wrote a book of worship and the worship was about us, it would be arrogant. So why is it that God, when he writes a book and it's about the worship of himself, why is that not arrogant? You know why? Because he's God and we're not. And he is worthy of that glory. And to bring glory to anyone else or anything else is idolatry. Because there is only one God who is worthy of that praise. I'm not worthy of it. But he is the creator and the redeemer And so he gives us this gift, this hymn book, so that we can sing his praises through every situation of life. That's the Psalms. I heard a a story, a a fundraiser that happened in a church. I'm not a big fan of this method, but nonetheless, they they offered whoever gave, the church was running short on cash, so they did it in a service. They just said, hey, whoever whoever donates the most money tonight gets to pick the three hymns. We're singing in church. So they get to pick the three hymns. And and, and so this actually sweet widow lady ended up donating a thousand bucks. It was turned into like an auction. I'll give a thousand dollars. And so finally, okay, you gave a thousand dollars. What three hymns do you want? And she looks out over the congregation. She goes, I'll take him and I'll take him and I'll take him. (laughs) Wrong kind of hymn. I came this week to these Psalms. I did. I came to these Psalms. I'm thinking, I, I can't pick one. Psalm 14 is awesome. 
The fool says in his heart there is no God. Psalm 15, oh, like I took votes. I got together with some staff guys. Like, what would you pick if you were picking? Psalm 14, 15, 16, 17. Psalm 18 is fantastic. I sent out a group text to my family. Anybody have a vote on the Psalms this week? You know, like I'm just taking, taking input. But honestly, as I prayed through it, as I listened to what people were sharing, and, and honestly, as I came to this passage in my one-year Bible reading, I think it was on Wednesday, I'm like, that's the one I think God has for us as a congregation this week. Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is really David sharing with us the joy that he finds in fellowship with his creator. And I want you to have that joy today too. I want you to leave here with that joy that can only come from a relationship with Jesus. Turn, turn to your Bibles for a minute to Matthew chapter 13. There was another passage we came across this week. Matthew chapter 13 contains within it what are known as the kingdom parables. The kingdom parables, which I love this whole section of the New Testament. This is Jesus speaking. He's describing for us the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, the, the, the place where God reigns. And, and he describes something interesting. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, describing the kingdom of heaven, he says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So you get the idea that, that the picture, right? This is great metaphor being, story being told, that, that, that there's a field. A guy seems to be walking through that field, and I don't know if he's you know, out there to dig a hole or what he might be doing, but he comes across a treasure buried in the ground. That sounds strange to all of us because they're like, treasure is buried in ground. Who buries their treasure in the ground? In ancient times, that's what they did. They didn't have banks, and they didn't have, you know, security boxes and those kinds of things. And so if, if, if there was an invading army coming in, for example, and you were going to maybe lose your land temporarily, you would bury your treasure in a field and, and, then, and then be able to go back and retrieve it at some point in the future. And so, and so this man comes across this treasure buried in a field. And he goes and he, he buys the whole piece of property, gives everything he has so that he can have that treasure. Now, now, there's two different views, primarily, of this passage and what this means. Some people read this and they think, well, we're the treasure in the field, and God gave everything he had, his son Jesus, to buy us, to redeem us. And so that's where we find our worth and value, is that Christ died for us and shed his blood for us. There's another, another view that says, well, no, actually, the kingdom of heaven is the treasure in the field. Seems like that might be what Jesus is saying, is the treasure in the field, and that whatever... We would give up to have that treasure. He's the all-satisfying factor and savior in our lives. Like, like I'll give up anything to have Christ. John Piper says this. The question today is, is what do we learn from the kingdom here in Matthew 13, 44? We learn one main thing. The kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth but getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off. Having the omnipotent, saving reign of Christ in our lives is so valuable that if we lose everything in order to have it, it is a joyful sacrifice. Jesus said whoever loses his life will find it. So whatever your view is of that parable, I would tell you actually, both of those truths are, are real. It's true. Your worth and value is found in the price that was paid to purchase you. That's true. It's also true that the kingdom of God, as John Piper says, having Christ in your life is so valuable that if you lose everything to have him and to have the kingdom, it's a joyful sacrifice. So both of those things are true. I would tell you this much, though. I think the truth that, well, you could ask yourself this question. 
is, is Matthew 13, 44 making much of us or is it making much of the kingdom? And what I would say is this, is God make much of us so that we could make much of the kingdom and his glory? And I think that that is the primary truth, the first truth, is that God is worthy of all glory and he makes it possible for us to glorify him because he sent his son Jesus. And I think that's the proper order to think about such things. His glory first. He saved us so that we could glorify him. And so Psalm 16 is this joyful celebration of David because he has found this all-satisfying relationship with the God who made him. Let's look back at Psalm chapter 16. In Psalm, in Psalm 16, verse 1, in verses 1 to 3, we see that the Lord is David's priority, that, that the Lord has the first place in David's life, that, that David's a man who's completely dependent on God, and he cries out to him for preservation. He says, you are my refuge, you are the absorbing passion of my life. When difficult times come, I turn to you. Look, look at verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Psalm 73, verse 25 says this, Who have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. So he says, preserve me, O God, preserve my life. My, my days are numbered. I'm in great harm. Keep me safe. I, I run to you. Who do you run to when times are hard? That's who your confidence in is in. That's, that's the priority. That's the person that's your, your person in life. And what David is saying is, no, God, you are that first person in my life. I run to you. You are my refuge. We don't know the situation that David's facing, particularly here. We can speculate, but actually this psalm, we don't know if it's when Saul's chasing him through the wilderness and trying to kill him. Or we don't know if this is the time where his son Absalom took his throne and chased him out of Jerusalem. Remember that? And David leaves and the guy's hucking rocks at David as he goes. I mean, I don't know, but this is a low point in David's life. And in that low point of David's life, when he's a refugee, when he's, when he's fleeing, when he thinks he's going to die, he turns to the Lord. And then, in fact, look at verse 2. Verse 2, it says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. So, so, so here David says some, does something very interesting, and there's a word play, you've got to catch this. Notice it says, I say to the Lord, and notice in your Bible it'll say, it says, it's written, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, all caps. What does that mean? Whenever you see that, that's the word for Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. But notice it says, I will say to the Lord, Yahweh, you are my Lord, Adonai. It's not all capital letters. So I will say to Yahweh, you are my Lord, which is a general name for God, which means you are my king, my master, you are my God. Yahweh, you are my God. I run to you in a time of trouble. You are the priority of my life. And notice he says, I have no good apart from you. So David announces here his exclusive trust in the Lord, that everything good in his life comes from the Lord, and then when times get hard, he runs to the Lord. He has this unbelievable commitment to the Lord in his relationship with God. What he's really saying here is, Lord, you are my treasure. You're my supreme treasure. I run to you, and there's nothing on earth that compares to you. Look at verse 3. We see the centrality of God in David's life does not exclude a deep regard for the saints. Look at verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is my delight. What is David saying here? What he's saying is, is to love God is to love his people. First John chapter 5 says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So he's just going, yeah, I find my greatest joy, the people I love being with the most, are those who find their greatest joy in the Lord as well. John Piper 
turns it around and says it this way. He says, why would you find more joy in people who find no joy in the one who is your primary joy? Like, it doesn't mean you don't have relationships with people who don't find their joy in the Lord, but it means your greatest joy in terms of relationship with people is to spend time with people who do find their joy in the Lord. And what does it say about us if we're most drawn to people who don't find their joy in our primary joy? And so, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another in all the more as we see the day drawing near. So in other words, we're drawn to those who are also sharing the same joy in the Lord. Last night, there was a lady, Barbara, that I met. She came up after church, and I, and I had mentioned to her, in the service actually at this point, that I met somebody last weekend who's been coming to church here for, I guess, about two years, and I've, I've never met them. And it's not that meeting me is the greatest thrill in the history of the world or will satisfy your soul. In fact, I think for some people it's shocking at times. I remember, I remember one time somebody came up to me after they'd been coming to church for a while and they finally came to say hi. And this, and, the, and this very nice lady looked at me and she just goes, wow, you really are short. Oh, thank you so much. It's not nice to meet you. I mean, it's nice to meet you. But this lady waited around back here and it was cool because she's been coming to church here for a year. I'd never met her. And she sat next to a lady that she never met before. And she shares this after the service with this lady who, who, who comes to our church. And, and so the lady stuck around forever, brings her up. She goes, you know what, Chris, I just want to introduce Barbara to you. She's been coming here for a year. She wanted to come meet you. And this lady looks at me and she just goes, I am so hungry for Christian friends. And so I just walked her out and showed her all the small groups we're meeting and said, come, like, they're going to invite you. They want to have fellowship with you because you're not going to find that in a room necessarily this size, right? Like, you got to go have that intimacy with other believers. And, and, you, and, and she said, I want that joy that comes from being with other people who find their joy in the Lord. That's what David's saying. He's going, no, you're the priority of my life. And because the Lord's priority of my life, his people are also a priority of my life. And then verses 4 through 6, we see that David that the Lord is David's portion. So he's his priority, he's first. That's who he runs to in a time of need. But then we see it's David's portion. David compared the Lord, in verses 4 to 6, to to an allotted inheritance. He says, the Lord is my inheritance. The Lord was all that he needed to satisfy his heart in his life. And and so, so, so let's just pretend right now. I don't know if any of you have ever received an inheritance. I don't know if you've ever been in a will. Maybe somebody here has received a lot of money at some point in your life. I'm not going to ask you to share what you received. I will tell you, I have been in a will, like one will where somebody died next to you, read it, and I got something in the will. My name was in it. And the one thing I've ever gotten in my whole life in a will was a Chevy Chevette. My grandma left me her car, and it was a a Chevette. I was so excited when I saw my name there. And when I saw what I got, I was less excited. I wish they'd just put vet. Chris gets the vet. I'd have felt better. I'd have felt better if my grandma had bought a vet. I know it was out of love that she gave that to me, but that's, that's what I received. But could you imagine today if, I, if, you, if you got out of church and you get a phone call that says, hey, I'm an attorney from New York, and you have this uncle that you never knew, and he never got married, and you're his only descendant, and he was a billionaire. And in fact, he has a mansion in Malibu, and it's all yours. Some of you are smiling right now, like, 
You get all the cars that are there and all the money that is there. Like, what would you be thinking right now? You'd be like, this is awesome. I mean, some of you are going to go and just start to Google lost uncle. You know what I mean? Like, maybe. But what David's saying here is, he's saying, he's saying, no, compared to the Lord, everything this world has to offer is nothing. And those who pursue other gods and have other idols and things that they think will satisfy them, they're always disappointed because everything this world has to offer in terms of satisfying our soul is like cotton candy. Does anybody here like cotton candy? Who likes cotton candy? You can like cotton candy, but let me tell you something. It's always disappointing to me because you bite into that and it just dissolves in your mouth. And you quickly just need something else, right? It just doesn't satisfy like a Snickers. And so take a look at verse 4. Notice what David says here. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Did you see that? Those who run after other gods, other sort of sources of the satisfaction, their sorrows are going to multiply, not their joy. Look at the next part of the verse. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. In other words, I'm not going to participate in worshiping those false gods or take their names on my lips. I won't even speak of the disgusting ways that as people we try to sort of find satisfaction in false gods. But then in verse 5, I love this. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You see what he's doing here? The idea of a portion is a reference to, to, a, to an inheritance. And he says, the Lord is my chosen portion. The picture is, is David saying, I'm looking at every single thing this world has to offer. Everything. I don't know if anybody here likes buffets. I like buffets. I like to buffet my body at the buffet. I love the Golden Corral. There's one in Bakersfield. I've been to one in North Carolina. There's not very many of them in California, but I love Golden Corral. It's just like the best buffet ever. But my problem is I'm always in this dilemma. Like, I don't know which to choose. I have everything to pick. So I just always pick like a scoop of this, a scoop of this, a scoop of this. So when I get back, my plate looks like a microcosm of the buffet itself. Because I have like every little piece of everything. And then afterwards, the dessert bar. I mean, it's just like Golden Corral, unbelievable dessert bar. Do you guys want to just meet there tonight at five? I'll meet you over there. Okay, so they have this chocolate fountain that just shoots chocolate out of it. I just want to go up to like, you know, like, fill me up. And then, of course, you go home from there sick. So David's, David's like saying this, okay? You picture whatever you think would bring you joy in this life. Anything. I'm talking about anything sinful or any, even anything that would not necessarily be sinful but that if it's an idol in your life, it would be sinful. But you're like, all of these, all of these things. You know, maybe, it, maybe, maybe it's money. Maybe, maybe it has to do with even marriage. Maybe it has to do with kid, but Whatever it might be, everything that... And David just looks at all of it. And he says, you know what? I see everything this world has to offer, and I choose the Lord. He said, you are my chosen portion. You see that? Like, I choose you. You're my inheritance. You see, what I want you to know is what you get from a relationship with Jesus is Jesus. What you get from a relationship with the Lord is the Lord. He is the inheritance. You are my chosen portion. I, I love Look at the next part of the verse. You are my cup. You're the one who nourishes me. It reminds me of John 14, verse 14. Jesus said this, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Remember that to the woman at the well? The one who drinks this will never, never thirst. You're my cup. And then he says something interesting. You hold my 
lot. What does that mean? Well, when you roll the dice, or you choose the straws, you draw straws, what he's saying is, is, is what happens to me, God has decided would happen. Now, now, now here's what's interesting. He says, you are my chosen portion. And then he says, and Lord, you chose to put me in a place where I would choose you as my portion. And I realize this is going to cause a headache for some of you and maybe a fight at Golden Corral later in the day. But what I think you see here is a man who's saying, I've chosen the Lord, and thank you, Lord, that you chose me. And, 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 and we'll figure all that out in heaven. But David seems to be content to say, Lord, I've chosen you as my portion, and Lord, you are the sovereign Lord who directs my steps. You are, as it says in the end of verse 6, you are the one who holds my lot, verse 5. And then, in fact, he continues with the same thought, verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I love this. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What does it mean the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places? What David is using here, it's a, it's a metaphor, like boundary lines. And he's saying, Lord, you drew the boundary lines around my life. You put a circle around my life. And Lord, you've chosen that you will always be in that circle. So, my boundary lines of my life have fallen in pleasant places. Or literally, it's, it's used later in verse 11, the same word, pleasurable places, places of joy. Lord, you've been good to me. And remember, this is said of a man who is seeking the Lord as his refuge. He's in a difficult time of his life. And he goes, no, I have you, Lord, and, and you are my inheritance. And you've put this circle around me. And, and in, in, your, in your kindness and in your sovereignty... You are so good to me to have you be a part of my life. I like what Adrian Rogers says. He says this, What is important in your life is what money cannot buy and death cannot take away. And that would be the Lord. In fact, in fact, notice David's preoccupation with the Lord in verses 7 and 8. He says this, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In other words, I'll speak well of the God who, who teaches me, instructs me according to his word. And then notice it says, in the night also my heart instructs me. So he says, I'm preaching sermons to myself when I can't sleep at night because I'm so inundated with the word of God. And then notice verse 8. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So he's going, man, I'm prepared. Like when, when the devil shoots his fiery arrows at me and tries to discourage me and attack me, I am so, you know, in the word of God. Like it just, when I wake up at night, I'm just thinking about the Lord. And so I would say, I would say that means we have a responsibility. Look at verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. He made a decision that every part of his life, he would be instructed by the word of God all the time. So that means reading your Bible in the morning, maybe reading it at night. It means maybe posting verses in your car and at your workplace. I think it means listening to music that is worshipful, that will bring me back to truth. And he goes, I've always had the Lord in front of me. And because of that, I'm not shaken. So what I would say about David is, not only was the Lord his priority, not only was the Lord his portion, but also the Lord is his preoccupation. He just thinks about him all the time. And then finally we see that the Lord was David's prospect. It's what he looked forward to in the future. It was being with him forever. Look at verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. 
for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let the Holy One, your Holy One, see corruption. Do you see what he's saying there? He goes, man, my heart is glad. My being is just so full of joy, even in the midst of a difficult circumstance, because my flesh dwells secure and you're, you, you're not going to let me go to hell. By the way, that's good news today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And here's something to be joyful about. You may say, I don't have anything to be joyful about. Let me tell you this. You're not going to hell ever. That should put a smile on your face. Like, oh. But not only are you not going to hell, but you are going to heaven. The Lord will not let your, your, you, you see corruption or, or decay. The idea, 2 Corinthians 5, says this, that, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul says in Philippians to live as Christ, but to die is gain. That like it actually gets better when we die. And then notice, what does he say in verse 11? The highlight, I think, of the whole chapter. You make known to me the path of life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures that cannot be taken from you. What does this mean? That means in God's presence, when we dwell in his presence, even on the earth, we have this unspeakable and many times ununderstandable joy. Like we can't explain it. Because it's a joy that, that comes from his presence regardless of the circumstance. But then also notice, this, and this joy will go on forevermore. So I was at Costco Monday with my wife. We had bought a new table and chairs from Costco at the end of December. And as we were walking out of Costco, we saw that this was marked down $200 from when we bought it three weeks ago. So I thought, I'm going to try to do something about that. I walk up to the counter. She goes, I don't know if we still have the receipt. I'm like, uh, you know, like, oh, you know, you start to think your mind's going like, man, I, I walk up to the counter and said, hey, we bought a table here a few weeks ago. It's $200 cheaper. The guy goes, do you have your Costco card? I hand him my Costco card. He hands me back without any comment, $200 and my Costco card. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you went to Costco and walked out with $200 cash? <laughs> Never. I'm going back tomorrow again. I'm just going to give him my card and see. I, I don't you know. Here's my card. I need my 200 bucks cash. This is a great membership. <laughs> Listen, I walked out of there. I was so excited. I was I'd be like, God, we just got 200 bucks from Costco. Like, cash in my pocket. I can't, you believe this? Like, no way. So we're driving. I'm like, that was awesome. But you know what? That wears off quickly. Some of you are football fans in the room. Yeah, baby. See? And some of you, like, like in first service, there was like a Pittsburgh Steeler rally going on up over here at the front it was just hilarious like jerseys and they're like hey gather together i'm like would you guys want me to pray for you or you know whatever that god would comfort you when you lose you know what i mean like whatever <laughs> hey i don't think it's wrong for us to enjoy a football game but if that's your highest priority and you're going to be all bummed out because your team wins but i want to flip this around what if your team what if your team wins what happens what if your team wins today? So your team's going to go to the Super Bowl, right? This is championship, so you go to the Super Bowl from here, okay? So if your team wins today, you know, what is going to instantly happen as soon as that game's over? You're going to be thinking, I hope they win next week. I hope they win in two weeks. I hope they win the Super Bowl. And they're going to win the Super Bowl. And the first thing that you're going to ask the, the players when they interview them after the game is, do you guys think you're going to be able to repeat? Because that's the nature of what this world has to offer. It never satisfies. The joy is always short-term. And what David said is, oh, I found the one, I found the treasure of my soul that brings eternal joy that's not a fleeting joy. 
Notice the, the verse there in, in, in the, the phrase in verse 11. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. You guys, if you were, I mentioned Chicago earlier. There's also another song that comes to my mind. I, I didn't, couldn't even remember the group last night, but they sing that song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Rolling Stones, you, you said that really fast. I'm just saying. That, that's, that's the truth. You know, I think, I think this world is on a quest for joy. I do. I think they're, I want joy. And you think, if I just get this, or if I just get this, or if I just get this. You know what you need? The Lord. To be your priority, to be your portion, to be your preoccupation. And then you'll have the prospect just like David of, you're going to have him forevermore. He'll never be taken from you. Now, there is something I must draw to your attention, and it is critical. And that is that the New Testament quotes, in fact, I think I mentioned this, but the New Testament quotes from the Psalms more than any other book of the Old Testament, which would make it important. But this also is what's called a messianic psalm, because verses 8 through 11 are quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And he says, and actually Paul quotes from this psalm too in Acts 13. But Peter says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that verses 8 to 11 were speaking also prophetically of Christ. In fact, look, if you will, again at verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. So here's, here's what Peter's saying. That ultimately, that's speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want, you, I want you to catch this, right? Jesus hasn't come yet. David writes this in about 1,000 B.C. But, G, but David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing prophetically of Christ who, who will come up out of that grave and his body won't see destruction, right? So, so here, here, here's the cool thing. David could say, I will be with the Lord forevermore because Jesus would rise from the dead a 1,000 years later and those who believe in Christ will rise just as he rose because he's the first fruit of all who will rise from the dead. So, all of this joy and anticipation and, and this joy forevermore in the presence of the Lord is coming because David is writing prophetically of this one who will come, die on a cross for our sins and rise again from the dead. So you and I have this promise of forever joy because God didn't let his Holy One, Jesus, see corruption, but rose him from the dead. And if he rose, you too will rise. Now, I don't know what might be going on in your life. You might feel like Saul's chasing you in the wilderness right now. Or you might, you might have a family betrayal situation where everybody's turned their back on you and, and you're, you feel like you're walking out of Lancaster barefooted like David walked out of Jerusalem and people are throwing rocks at you and it just can't get any worse. But David... David is still able to celebrate this joy because he knows that it's found in the presence of the Lord and that it's a pleasure that can never be taken from him and it's going to last forevermore. Kidner says this, he says this, satisfying joy and pleasures forevermore. The refugee in verse 1 finds himself an heir and his inheritance beyond all imagining and all exploring. So the refugee finds himself an heir of an eternal promise and eternal pleasure in the presence of the Lord. That's where we find our joy, 
It is not in our circumstances. So if I could conclude today with a, a bit of an encouragement, maybe a challenge, an exhortation to all of us, including myself. If we really believe this, and we're saying, no, the Lord is my joy. He is my priority. He is my portion. He is my preoccupation. And, and by the way, I can't, want, I can't wait to one day be with him. Like, he's my best prospect. Like, I'm going to be with him forever. If you really have that joy, you should probably show it. Remember, remember when uh, you're in Sunday school? I remember when I was in Sunday school as a kid. We used to sing this song. I bet you, I bet you most of you are going to know it. I think, I think we might still sing it. Some kid came up to me and said, we still sing that. It goes like this. <clears throat> I've got this joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my... Oh, oh, go ahead. Next line. If the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ouch. Sit on attack. Yeah, see, yeah, you see. There. I feel like a choir director right now. You people are good. If we really have, and I believe we do, if we really have this joy, 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 joy down in our heart, you know what some of us probably need to do? Is tell our faces. <laughs> Might be a good idea. Because your faces will tell other people that you have a joy, 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 joy down in your heart, and that will be your best testimony. We live in an incredibly angry world. Angry world. We do. And we got people marching angry. We have press secretaries who have been on the job for 24 hours and they're angry, screaming at the press, and everybody's mad. Everybody's mad. But that shouldn't be so of us. Listen, this world's not our priority, this world is not our portion. This world's not our preoccupation. This world doesn't hold future hope. It's not my best prospect. So I want to think about something right now. In a world that's angry and everybody's mad, you walk around with joy, like smiling joy, like genuine joy, not fake joy. Like, I know the Lord. My sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit lives in me. The joy, I, I find this joy forevermore in the Lord. I just want you to think about this just for a second. You're going to stand out. You're going to be a freak but, but a good freak. And, and let me say, your smile on your face will never save anybody. It won't. But it will give you the opportunity to share the gospel with people, and that message can save them. Happy faces don't save people. The message of the gospel saves people. They're going to have to hear it from our lips, but I think they have to see it on our lips before they'll hear it from our lips. And you will stand out. I promise you, you will stand out if you just make the Lord your joy. Now, here's the key. It has to start from the inside out. So make the Lord your joy, make him your preoccupation, and then that will be worn on your face, and you have opportunity to tell other people the good news about this Lord who gives you joy, even in the middle of an angry, upset world. Do you remember Jesus' first miracle recorded in the Bible? John chapter 2. Jesus turned the water into wine. Remember that? Remember the guy that's hosting the... They're amazed. Remember they're amazed. Like, man, this guy brings out the best wine for last. Because Jesus, when he made wine, he made it good, I guess. And what I want to tell you today is, is God saving the best for last. 
We have the Spirit dwelling in us, but we're still not with Him forevermore. But you will be with Him forevermore. So no matter what you're going through today, don't let anybody rob you of the joy of the promise of eternity with Christ. Let that give you hope today. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this time with the saints. You are all in all. You are our treasure. You are what we seek. Jesus, You satisfy our souls. So we come to you you invite us to we come to you lord would you this week remind us draw us to yourself make us make you our priority and our preoccupation and may we find our joy in you and in you alone in jesus name amen